It's so quiet in here tonight, I'm almost hesitant to speak. You know, there's that famous line, before you speak, consider whether it's an improvement on the silence. (laughs) But I know that uh, much is stirring in the hearts and, and minds of everyone this week, and especially since this, that for anybody who's relatively well-informed, this grand jury failure to indict this policeman, and it just points to so many, so many uncooked seeds in our hearts and in our culture, and uh, the shroud of privilege and ignorance and everything that is so hard if you are a caring and heartful person, it's so hard to bear. It's just one of the many sufferings that, um, that, are, that arise in a life of a human being. And human beings are not, we, they are, we have the amazing capacity to, to be developed and wise and compassionate and loving and skillful, but we also have, uh, we are also ignorant, barbaric, foolish, hateful, and this is, uh, in some way, there's nothing new under the sun, so we, we have to find a way of, of accommodating the way things are, and that's really what the nature of insight meditation is. It actually means, or vipassana means seeing things as they are doesn't mean seeing things as we want them to be. We hope they will be. If they could be, should be, would be. As my mother says, no woulda, coulda, shouldas. Uh, but really, the way things are. And the last few weeks, I, I think a few weeks ago, I, I spoke about the concept of, of papancha, The concept of papancha, which is the the tendency of our mind to proliferate, to to elaborate on on the way things are, and to become so um, caught in the effusion of of our thoughts that we're that we lose touch with the basic reality, things as they are. First and foremost, we lose touch with the reality of the, of the senses, of just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting. And often our perception of reality is seen through the lens of uh, the effusion of our thoughts and not so much uh, seeing with the, just the bare, the bare suchness. As the Buddha was called Tathagata, one who knows the suchness of things, just the isness of things. And the farther we are removed from the from the suchness of things the more our our minds and bodies go into a state of of freeze go into a state of contraction and we inevitably end up in a state of of um, so much tension that every sense experience then is experienced as a as an assault as a, an impingement and and it's very difficult then to experience loss as just pure loss or Injustice as injustice. It's, it, it's hard to take it in and accommodate it and sit in the middle of it and feel, be able to meet it with an open heart and balance where our minds go into, into compounding reactions. And so last week I spoke about the, 
the two arrows, how there is what's happening, there is, this, there is the suchness of what goes down every day, every moment, there is how things are, and then there is the, and part of what goes on every day is that uh, we experience things that are painful. We suffer, we have loss, we have grief, we have, we have uh, desires that are unfulfilled, we have the whole range. We have to get up and go through the, it's called sankara dukkha, just the constant impingement of our senses, having to deal with sights and sounds and smells and tastes and our jobs and our, and our cleaning and our cooking and everything. And it's hard. It's, it's not all that it's cracked up to be. And on top of that, our mind starts complaining. It starts, it in reaction, it says, I don't want this. So we, we start inclined, we become inclined toward uh, wanting to shut it all out, and that's its own kind of reaction, uh, trying to distract ourselves any way we can, or we go into delusion, into that effusion of, of thoughts. And speculations and complaints and, and uh, commentary. In fact, I, I, I didn't have this with me a few weeks ago, but while, we're, while I'm still mentioning the word papancha again, this word called proliferation or complication or elaboration, the way our mind um, tells a massive story about the simplest sense experiences. This is a very, there's a couple traditional definitions from the old commentaries. Number one, the unbidden going of the mind away from the present to imagined experiences or objects. That seems pretty innocuous. This one is the this one is priceless. The propensity of the worldling's imagination to erupt in an effusion of mental commentary that obscures the bare data of cognition. <laughs> Sorry, it's just couldn't resist. So from beginningless time, we have, because of the forces in our minds of grasping, of greed, of, of aversion, hatred, and of ignorance, of not knowing the difference between our, our stories about ourselves and about things and the reality, from beginningless time, we have we have um, conditioned a, in some ways, an alternate reality, uh, a reality that is um, often full of distortion and ignorance and, and hatred, and uh, we've. And this has all become. This has all been created in our minds. What we see in the world is just a reflection, a projection of our minds, and. It's not a pretty picture all the time. Sometimes it is. There's so much beauty in our hearts, so much beauty in the world, and also a lot of ugliness. But it is possible to see by examining our own hearts and minds how the world is the way it is because people are the way they are. And as one of my favorite teachers, Sri Nisargadatta, says, as long as people are the way they are, the world will remain the way it is. And if we, want, if we truly want a peaceful and wise and loving world, there has to be peaceful, wise, and loving people. 
it's not something we can impose on the world with laws, even though laws are important, but it's something that has to start within the, the hearts of each person. So that's where our practice comes of what Thich Nhat Hanh called reclaiming our heritage, reclaiming our richness, coming home to ourselves. He says, you who are the richest person on earth who've been going around begging for a living, stop being a destitute child, come home, reclaim your heritage, come back to reality. And coming back to the reality means coming back into our bodies. And if we've been living so much in the effusion of our thoughts, our body has become a neglected kind of wasteland. When I checked in tonight, I couldn't believe just the, the effect of my day. I couldn't believe how much tension there was in the body. Wonderful miracle, though, after 40 minutes of sitting, everything had softened to a tremendous degree. That's the beauty of letting our attention come back to reality, putting our mind back in our body. But the first insight in coming back to ourselves is that it's not pleasant. It's unpleasant. And our tendency is not to be able to accommodate the unpleasant so easily. And so our mind goes off again. So the invitation in dealing with with everything in our life is come back to our bodies. Come back to this present moment. And now that everyone has been your senses have been open, and if you've been paying attention to the news, you, you, you know what's happened in these last days. And you know that there are looting everywhere. There's, there, there are people who are marching. There are people who are screaming. There's a lot of people who are, who are desperately grief-stricken, sad, angry. All of that we feel. We don't exist alone apart from each other, so we feel that. Everybody feels it. If you don't let yourself feel it, you'll live in virtual reality. Or you may dull yourself enough to where you don't have the immediate felt sense of it. But you, it, it will come home to roost. You will feel it. So in, our, in our Dharma practice, though, we say, feel it. Stop. Don't live in the secondhand version, in the compounded pain that gets created in your mind, even at even though you may be searching for relief or pleasure and it's all innocent that you check out or that you go unconscious. But protect yourself and the beings who live around you, who have to live around you, from compounding stress of your being disconnected from yourself because then you'll act like an idiot. Prevent that. Prevent that excess suffering by feeling your pain, feeling your grief, letting yourself crack. I brought along a few poems tonight, one from Roshani, often read, called The Unbroken. There is a brokenness out of which comes the unbroken, a shatteredness out of which blooms the unshatterable. There is a sorrow beyond all grief which leads to joy and a fragility out of whose depths emerges strength. There is a hollow space too vast for words, 
through which we pass with each loss, out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound, whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside that is unbreakable and whole, while learning to sing. Or as we come home to ourselves, we are invited moment by moment to feel whatever our pain is, our loss. As Naomi Shihab Nye says, before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow, you must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore, only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread, only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere like a shadow for a friend. So if we're... I should let that just settle for a moment, sorry. If you... If we're busy railing at the world, complaining, lost in thought, distracting ourselves at any cost, how can we, how can we feel connected and kind? How can, we, how can we come to that realization? We've seen the central teaching from the Dhammapada in response to the same conditions that were present 2,600 years ago. The Buddha's, some of the earliest utterances of the Buddha, look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Live with such thoughts and you live in hate. Look how he abused me and beat me, how he threw me down and robbed me. Abandon such thoughts and live in love. In this world, hate never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the law, ancient and inexhaustible. You too shall pass away. Knowing this, how can you quarrel? So clearly we have this this capacity in us if we stay connected to ourselves to love, to to feel kindness, caring, to have our heart break in the face of what's happening in the world, but not to compound it, not to add to it with our 
excessive effusion of thoughts or our excessive reactivity. That it is possible to learn to to sit in the middle of of, of joys and sorrows, and um, and keep our heart open. Keep our heart open. So it really depends on where you incline your mind. Where, what, what direction do you put your attention? Do you put your attention on, on uh, distraction or do you put your attention on reality? As the Buddha said, whatever one frequently dwells upon becomes the inclination of the mind. There's a old Native American story, a grandfather from the Cherokee Nation was talking with his grandson. The boy said, a fight is going on inside of me. Or no, the, the, grand, the grandfather <laughs> said to the, to the boy, a fight is going on inside of me. It is a terrible fight and it is, be, it is between two wolves. One wolf is evil and ugly. He is anger, envy, war, greed, self-pity, sorrow, regret, guilt, resentment, inferiority, lies, false pride, superiority, selfishness, and arrogance. The other wolf is beautiful and good. He is friendly, joyful, peace, love, hope, serenity, humility, kindness, benevolence, justice, fairness, empathy, generosity true compassion, gratitude, and deep vision. The same fight, he continues, is going on inside of you and inside every other human as well. The grandson paused in deep reflection because of what his grandfather had just said. Then he finally cried out, Aye, grandfather, which wolf will win? And the elder Cherokee replied, the one that you feed. So the Buddha recommended that you feed the, the, <laughs> the love channel, the wisdom channel, the goodness. But we do have, we do have uh, all of the sides, and it and it's important that we first open to the fact that we have all of these voices in us, and we don't actually suppress or repress the the dark forces that we see that we are uh, that we have it all, and then it's a matter of what we feed. But the first part of our practice is to, is to open to it all. As Rumi says, even if there are a crowd of sorrows that empties your house of its furniture, invite them in, meet them at the door laughing and invite them in. Or as Carl Sandburg shared in his poem called Wilderness, he said, there's a wolf in me, fangs pointed for tearing gashes, a red tongue for raw meat, and the hot lapping of blood. I keep this wolf because the wilderness gave it to me, and the wilderness will not let it go. There's a fox in me, 
A silver-gray fox, I sniff and guess. I pick things out of the wind and air. I nose in the dark night and take sleepers and eat them and hide the feathers. I circle and loop and double-cross. There's a hog in me. A snout and a belly, a machinery for eating and grunting, a machinery for sleeping, satisfied in the sun. I got this too from the wilderness, and the wilderness will not let it go. There's a fish in me. I know I came from the salt blue water gates. I scurried with shoals of herring. I blew water spouts with porpoises. Before land was, before the water went down, before Noah, before the first chapter of Genesis. There's a baboon in me. Clamoring clawed, dog-faced, yawping a galoot's hunger, hairy under the armpits. Here are hawk-eyed, hankering men. Here are blonde and blue-eyed women. Here they hide, curled, asleep, waiting, ready to snarl and kill, ready to sing and give milk, waiting. I keep the baboon because the wilderness says so. There's an eagle in me and a mockingbird, and the eagle flies among the rocky mountains of my dreams and fights among the Sierra crags of what I want, and the mockingbird warbles in the early forenoon before the dew is gone, warbles in the underbrush of my Chattanoogas of hope, gushes over the blue Ozark foothills of my wishes, and I got the eagle and the mockingbird from the wilderness. Oh, I got a zoo. I got a menagerie inside my ribs, under my bony head, under my red valve heart. I've got something else. It's a man-child heart. A woman-child heart is a father, a mother, and lover. It came from God knows where and is going to God knows where. For I am the keeper of the zoo. I say yes and no. I sing and kill and work. I'm a pal of the world. I came from the wilderness. So it doesn't mean because we have all these that we have to act out every every part. But we have to learn to... to use the vitality and energy of all the, the wilderness as it lives in us to channel toward that which will be of greatest benefit. So how do we sit in the middle of, of greed, hatred, and ignorance in our own minds and in the minds of the world? We practice, as the Buddha recommended, we, we practice metta. We practice loving kindness. And we practice the qualities that... that the boundless qualities that flow from metta, the qualities of compassion and joy and equanimity. He says this is what should be done by those who are skilled in goodness and who know that there is a path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied unburdened with duties, frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm, wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. Wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great and the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. 
Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upward to the skies, downward to the depths, outward and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing, walking, seated, or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, there's more teachings in this, by not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one having clarity of vision, being freed from the dependency on sense desires, is not born again into the world of suffering. So on the, during this week of, of another week of suffering in this world and in our own lives and whatever version of it, uh, I thought to bring tonight the words of, uh, of Nelson Mandela, a vote for meditation, for coming into your body, looking deeply, carefully, opening to the whole menagerie, the the wilderness as it lives in you, and, and inclining toward, toward wholesome qualities. And during his incarceration, this is what he said. You may find the cell is an ideal place to get to know yourself, to search realistically and regularly the process of your own mind and feelings. In judging our progress as individuals, we tend to focus on external factors, such as one's social position, influence and popularity, wealth and standard of education. But internal factors may even be more crucial in assessing one's development as a human being. Honesty, sincerity, simplicity, humility, purity, generosity, absence of vanity, readiness to serve your fellow beings, qualities within the reach of every soul are the foundations of one's spiritual life. At least if for nothing else, the cell gives you the opportunity to look daily into your entire conduct to overcome the bad and develop what is good in you. Regular meditation can be fruitful in this regard. You may find it difficult at first to pinpoint the negative factors in your life. But if you keep at it, it will reap rich rewards. Never forget that a saint is a sinner that keeps on trying. So love, wisdom, opening to ourselves, this is... This is if we want to be proactive, we have to change our hearts. We have to open our hearts. We have to sit in the middle of it so that we don't keep adding to the burden of suffering, which is heavy enough. What are you doing today to end suffering? And if you're not doing something outwardly, which I certainly recommend, then do it inwardly. Wish yourself, wish others well. There's someone here tonight who was at the... the March on Mission Street, um, 
in solidarity with uh, those who feel that there was a deep injustice done in, the, in not indicting this policeman who killed uh, Michael Brown. And uh, she was, she's someone who's, the person who I know who was at that march is uh, inclined to get pretty aversive and and, and in solidarity with me, has, as I've been very aversive to police and, and their, um, their heavy-handedness, et cetera, in my life, and I've opened my mouth one too many times, in my own opinion. Well, the same person who I've shared this kind of feeling with was informed me that she was doing stealth meta toward the um, policeman, wishing them well. And really seeing the humanity in the in the so-called enemy, and whoever your enemy is, to to try to incline toward loving kindness toward that person who is, in some ways, you might call your difficult person, because they're also they also have a, have a they have a zoo. They're all informed by the same forces of greed, hatred, and ignorance. Everyone is. So everyone is worthy of, of some mercy and compassion, even the perpetrators of injustice and ill will, unable to love, unable to see clearly. All of us have that. So just as, an, as a closing, I'd like to just read a prayer for the world from Rabbi Harold Kushner. It's actually also a a prayer for rain. (laughs) Let the rain come and wash away the ancient grudges, the bitter hatreds held and nurtured over generations. Let the rain wash away the memory of the hurt, the neglect. Then let the sun come out and fill the sky with rainbows. Let the warmth of the sun heal us wherever we are broken. Let it burn away the fog so that we can see each other clearly, so that we can see beyond labels, beyond accents, gender, or skin color. Let the warmth and brightness of the sun melt our selfishness so that we can share the joys and feel the sorrows of our neighbors. And let the light of the sun be so strong that we will see all people as our neighbors. Let the earth, nourished by rain, bring forth flowers that surround us with beauty. And let the mountains teach our hearts to reach upward to the skies. Amen.
May our practice tonight, any of the benefits of our practice, any of the goodness, the fruits, the merit, any goodness that has arisen from our practice, let it be shared, offered freely, and dedicated to the welfare and benefit of of all beings, without exception. Shared with the, the deep wish, that same wish that we have for ourselves, that all beings can have happiness in their lives and the causes of happiness, which is virtue, wisdom, love. Wish that all beings can be free of suffering and the causes of suffering, which is non-virtue, ignorance, greed, hatred. A deep wish that all beings can recognize the state of freedom, happiness of sorrowlessness that is our primordial or intrinsic nature here and now. And not overlook this vital point. And a deep wish that all beings can grow in serenity and equanimity. Able to, with that grandmotherly love, accommodate the inevitable joys and sorrows with less grasping, less aversion. May all beings, without exception, be liberated. May all beings be free. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm very thankful for all of you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all your generosity. Thanks for your practice. All beings everywhere, thanks you, thank you for your practice. And don't eat too much. And come and, and even if you do, you're still invited to come on Saturday. <laughs> Please come. It's a really nice. Last year we met on the same weekend, and it was a lovely. It's a lovely time to practice. So, Saturday mindfulness care center, Goff and near Goff and Market. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.